Never ever heard about the three bears. Well, let me tell you the real, and you know, they didn't have enough porridge and everything, but let me tell you really the real true story. A baby bear goes downstairs and he sits in his small chair at the table and he looks into a small bowl. It's empty. And he says, who's been eating my porridge? He squeaks. Papa Bear arrives on the big table and sits at the big chair. He looks into the big bowl and it's also empty. Who's been eating my porridge? He roars. Mama Bear puts her head through the serving hatch of the kitchen and yells, for Pete's sake, how many times do we have to go through this? It was Mama Bear who got up first. It was Mama Bear who woke everybody in the house. It's Mama Bear who made the coffee. It's Mama Bear who unloaded the dishwasher from last night and put everything away. It was Mama Bear who went out of the cold early morning air to fetch the newspaper. It was Mama Bear who sat at the table. It was Mama Bear who put her cat out, cleaned the litter box, and filled the cat water and food dish. And now that you've decided to drag your sorry beer butt downstairs and grace Mama Bear's kitchen with your grumpy present, listen good, because I'm only going to say this one more time. I haven't made the porridge yet. <laughs> yeah, okay. And all right, one more, and, and this, uh, you appreciate this. Uh, and this is, um, well, yeah, okay. No, that's not it. Um, well, okay, what did I do with it? Oh, well, anyway, all right, okay. Uh, where's my point? Okay, well, all right, all right, well, I guess I'll do that then. I don't guess. I don't guess I will. All right, so anyway, because I don't see it. I don't know what I did with it. I've got too many things going on here. Um, yeah. All right, well, all right, all right let's, let's just get on in our sermon. Uh, all right, turn with me, if you will, over to Proverbs 31, if you will. And I, I do appreciate our mothers, and I honor you today that are, that are here. Um, and I want to just read, I want to read uh, verses 25 through 28. I don't want to read the entire, entire thing, but listen to what it says in verses 25 through 28. It says, that strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, this is what you've given me. And so, Lord, I simply pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. You're our strength. You're our redemption. You're everything. And so, Lord, when I may this honor some folks today, and especially our mothers, and may, we, may they know as they walk out of here how much that we appreciate them. But I also pray, Lord, that we would honor you May we speak forth the words that you would have us to who in Jesus' name, amen. When a woman comes to the place uh, that she's enlightened, that God has given her the wonderful relationship of being a mom, I believe with all my heart and soul it's a calling that you accepted the role being a mother. The natural event of giving birth and, and you are considered a mother. But when a woman realizes the responsibility the Lord has called her to and she accepts it, oh, what a difference it is. 
I remember Jack Hiles, who one of my favorite preachers years ago was an independent Baptist, and I remember he was raised up in a two-room dirt uh, shack with a dirt floor. His dad was an alcoholic, but he talked about how his mother would pray, and they didn't have anything to eat. And all of a sudden, there'd be a knock on the door, and, and food would be delivered. I remember reading about Suzanne Wesley, had 19 children, nine of those died. But she managed somehow to organize her home in such a way that she spent time with every one of her children. Gave them an hour each day somehow. But as, as a result of that, the Methodist church, John and Charles Wesley came out of that. The greatest creatures that our Lord created was that of a mother. One of the most wonderful influences in life is that of a loving, godly mother. Mothers are the most important individuals in our lives. A survey was conducted among children and said they would choose the love and approval of their mothers over money or possessions. Winston Churchill once said, he said the most important person in his life was his mother. George Washington once said, My mother was the most beautiful woman I ever saw and all that I am and I owe to my mother. I attribute all my success in life to the moral and intellectual and physical education I received from her. A little boy was asked one time, says, where's your home? He said, where my mother is. A little boy went into the lingerie section of a big department store and shyly presented his problem to the sales clerk. He said, I want to buy my mom a present. Uh, uh, I want to buy her a slip, he said. But I'm darned if I know what size she is. And the clerk said, it would help to know if your mom is short or tall or fat or skinny. Well, she's just perfect, he said, beamed the little boy. So the clerk wrapped up a size 34 for her. About two days later, his mother came in and exchanged it for a size 52. Irma Bombach once said this, and she wrote a tribute to her mother, and she wrote a poem. She says, and here's what she said. She said, when the good Lord created mothers, he was into his sixth day of overtime when the angel appeared and said, you're doing a lot of fiddling around on this one. And the Lord said, have you read the specs on this order? She has to be completely washable, but not plastic have 180 movable parts, all replaceable, run on black coffee, leftovers, have a lap that disappears when she stands up, a kiss that can cure anything from a broken leg to a disappointment love affair, and six pairs of hands. The angel shook his head slowly and said, six pairs of hands? No way. It's not, uh, it's not the hands that are causing me problems, said the Lord. It's these pair of eyes that mothers have to have. That's on the standard model, asked the angel. Lord nodded one pair that sees through closet doors and when she asks what your kids are doing in there when she already knows another here in the, in the back of her head and sees what she shouldn't but what she has to know and of course the ones here in front that can look at a child when he goofs up and says I understand and I love you without so much as uttering a word. I can't, quite, I can't quit now. Already I have one who heals herself when she's sick can feed her family a six on a pound of hamburger, and can get a nine-year-old to stand under a shower. The angel circled and modeled the mother, and very slowly, it's too soft, he sighed, but tough, said the Lord excitingly. 
You can't imagine what this mother can do or endure. Can it think? Not only can it think, but it can reason and compromise a dream, said the Creator. Finally, the angel bent over and ran his finger across the cheek. And there's a leak, he proposed. I told you you were trying to put too much into this model. It's not a leak, said the Lord. It's a tear. What's it for? It's for joy and sadness and disappointment, pain and loneliness and pride. You're a genius, said the angel. And the Lord looked somber. I didn't put it there. What a difference in this country would take place if mothers would realize what a wonderful influence they have on their children. Mothers have the power that the strongest man in the world can't match. I've seen it in the lives of big overgrown men who seem to be rebellious individuals until they hear the voice of their mother and they become blubbering idiots. Men can run through walls but can't disappoint that little five foot inch woman they call mother. The Lord has made mothers with attributes we men can't understand. Children, if you want to be wise, God has given the wisdom to a godly mother. And when that mother sits down with her children in love to give instruction. The Bible calls a godly mother virtuous and says her price is far above rubies. Isaiah wrote that comfort comes from a mother. God, in comparing his relationship to us, compares it to a mother who said she cannot forget her nursing child. You know that bunch verse, I can't believe those who push abortion don't realize that feeling that God has placed inside of a woman. There's a great debate uh, today as we live at what, on, on abortion, at what point does life begin, they say. Does it, does it begin in the first trimester or the last trimester? When does, when does life actually begin? But the truth that life begins the moment that mother begins to celebrate that she's going to be a mom. I've seen people just find out that they're going to be pregnant and they're jumping up and down. That's it. It's when we find out that we're, a birth is coming, a baby is going to be born. Well, I, I would have to say the things that we see in our culture of abortion, of what some would allow, the mutilation of our children, and how can a mother who the Lord put in her love for children go along with this? I, it just it baffles me. Proverbs tells us that our mother's children are, are to honor her for all that she has done and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. Mothers can multitask. She can be faster than a speeding bullet at a meeting and the scheduling and delivers her children to the right place on time. She's more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, able to see through walls, closed doors, and as to what you're doing and shows up with stealth presence. When I was five years old, where we lived, we had an old barn in the back and had a lean-to, had an old a shack on the side of it and that was my clubhouse had a dirt floor in it wasn't much but up the street from me a little girl her daddy built her a new playhouse built furniture and put all this stuff had put good stuff in there I mean it was nice and I found out about it and so it was an alley that led up there to it so I got my wagon and I pulled my wagon up there to this little girl's playhouse and proceeded to load all her furniture. 
into my wagon and pull it back. And I never will forget as I put the last piece of furniture down in that, my clubhouse. I turned and there was my mother looking at me. And I knew I was dead meat. She called those people up and made me take every piece of that furniture back up there. Solomon gives us a picture of a godly mother. He says in verse, he says in verse 10, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? He asks a question I think is more relevant today to ask that at any other time. Who can find a virtuous woman? That ought to be the goal. Who can find a virtuous woman? If you set the goal to be a godly woman, a godly mother, don't be surprised if the world will try everything it can to crush that desire. I believe the greatest role that I need today is to be a housewife or a mother that makes herself available for the instruction of her children. I know that, that we live in times of financial crisis and everything else where everybody's got to help, got to move, what got to work and everything else. But I'm telling you there's times that we need godly women that are just simply mamas. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is still one of the most important verses in the Bible when it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart. And I've thought about that verse so much, and, and, and you know, why are, we, why are we seeing drag queens that are coming to uh, libraries to read? And I've seen the way some of these guys dress and everything. There is no way on God's green earth that I would ever let one of my grandkids or somebody else go into one of these places with these guys dressed up. Some of them just are barely clothed. Wouldn't do it. Why is that? Because the opposite of that verse is true also. If you decide you're not going to train up your child in the ways you go, if you don't put the time and the effort, because that's going to take time and effort, and it's going to train means to, that it's going to take time. Time. And if you're not willing to do that, then as a result of that, as a result of that, guess what? When he, uh, if you don't train him up in the ways you go, when he's old, he won't depart. And so if they see this, this normality that we see of, of homosexuality and everything else, as a result of that, guess what? As he grows up, he's just going to think, nothing to it. Nothing to it. According to the Bible, what does a godly mother look like? Verse 25 says, strength and honor are her clothing. And she shall rejoice in time to come. Strength and honor are her clothing. The way she dresses indicates her appearance is one, one of strength and dignity. You don't have to dress like you're going to uh, some kind of big party or something else. But, but the, how she dresses indicates her appearance is one of strength and dignity. That she's no shameful weakling. That she will rejoice in time to come. She can laugh at the future because she faces it with the confidence. Because when she looks back over her life, regret is not part of her vocabulary. Verse 26 also tells us this, that she opens her mouth with wisdom. And, and why does she open her mouth with wisdom? Because she knows the Word of God. The Bible teaches us that wisdom comes from God. And if you don't know the word, how can you be wise? So she opens her mouth with wisdom because she knows what the word of God says. 
She spent time alone with her heavenly father going over the word of God. The word of God has, has not only just does she know it, that she can quote it, whatever, but it's a practicality in her life. In verse 26 also, notice this, it says, And her tongue is a law of kindness. With all the self-discipline skills that she has, and, and, and she's such a hard worker that she's shown, you think she might be a little condescending or judgmental towards others. But on the contrary, however her speech was characterized by kindness as it ministers to others. Her speech is characterized by kindness. Verse 27 also says she watches over the ways of her household not letting anything that shouldn't be there but also not letting anything that would destroy the harmony of the home you know guys let me just say this to you as a man of your house you're really you're really God is going to and I tell you this because not not to this is not part of the sermon but I'm going to tell you one of these days God's going to call you in on the carpet and he's going to ask you what you did with your home because you're the spiritual leader in the home. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility. And he's going to ask you what you did. This is why. Why are we in this mess today? Because of Adam and Eve. Oh yeah, but why? Adam really, this is why Adam gets blamed. Because why? He allowed the snake to come into the garden. He's looking at the birds and everything else. And say, I named that pigeon up there. And all the time his wife's over here. You, you need to know what's going on. Not letting anything that would destroy the harmony of the home. Now at this point, there's an old saying, man's work from sunup is from sunup to sundown, but a woman's work is never done. This is where men have to be observant and try to take some of the load off of their wife. I don't know why it is that most women think men look sexy when they're washing the dishes or running the vacuum cleaner, but they seem to be the thought. She's a person that never is idle, always busy. And then verse 28 says this. Verse 28 says simply that her children rise up and they call her blessed. Her children rise up and they call her blessed. Let me ask you a question. Who wrote this? Solomon wrote this. Solomon wrote this. He was the man that God used through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write Proverbs. So Solomon writes, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Solomon wrote this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he also wrote this because he had experienced it in his own life. He, he experienced in his life that his mother would rise up and, and he would, that he would rise up and he would call his mother blessed. But who was his mother? His mother was Bathsheba. The one who had an adulterous affair with David. And David had her husband, Ura the Hittite, killed. One of the most honorable men in the Bible, David had killed. One, one, a man that had honored him, had stood up for David, 
And yet he writes, her children rise up and call her blessed. But he experienced this in his own relationship with his mother. And who was his mother? Bathsheba. You see, Solomon was a reflection of his own mother. That should be encouraging to me. Maybe you feel like as a mother or that maybe you feel like maybe you failed in some ways or you know your kids are doing things they shouldn't be doing or whatever it is and you feel like man I, I just don't know I, I, as a mother maybe I fail. No, it, this really gives us a lot of hope doesn't it? That he rises up and he calls her blessed. Proverbs 24, 16 says, A righteous person may fall seven times, but they rise again. I don't care where you are. I don't care what your lifestyle is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what, what's happened in you. You can rise again if you will put Christ first in your life. Things can happen. And so... Isaiah 53, 6 also says this. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of his own way. And his Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, there's some of us that have a hard time forgiving. And the hard time we have forgiving is forgiving our parents because they screwed up. Maybe you're a child that's come through a divorce. Or maybe you're a child that's come through where your mother left or whatever but Jesus one time told us that if we don't forgive those others that we can't be forgiven ourselves. I don't know what your situation is. See, I will tell you this. 31 years of pastoring churches and 31 years of, of doing Mother's Day sermons. And Cricket even mentioned this to me this week. The hardest sermon I've ever had to preach is Mother's Day sermons. And it was because my mother and I, and I, I'll take part, I'll take most of the blame. I was rebellious in a lot of ways. But my mother and I were like this all the time. I think the last time I was actually home, my mother hauled off and knocked the fire out of me. And I told her at that time, I said, you better hear her again. And I said, because this is going to be the last time you're going to hit me. <laughs> that was disrespectful. And she didn't understand what I was trying to do. She, she especially didn't understand when I gave my heart to, to surrender to the ministry. She thought to leave a job that I had and go to school for this. But my mother, before she died, a day and a half before she died, I led my mother to the Lord. And I got to tell you today, I, I got to thinking about this. And I got to thinking, you know, this ought to be one of the most joyous times in my life. You know why? Because I can't wait to get to heaven to see my mama again. And we're going to walk through heaven together. And we're going to talk for the first time about the things of God. And we're going to enjoy one another's company. And we're going to laugh and we're going to have a good time together. I can't wait to see her again. And so, do I hold any hostility towards her? No! Because 
I'm, I'm a compilation. You've got to understand, why is God doing something in your life? Why have you gone through some of the things you've gone through? Why have some of these things happened? Because you're a compilation of all those things. And God takes all those things. You're His workmanship created in the good works. He'll take all those things. He mixes them together. And out of that comes you. But out of it comes you as a loving, wonderful person because Jesus is in there molding and making it. And in Jeremiah, it talks about how the potter goes down to the clay. And as he goes down to the clay, he brings it up. And he brings it up and he sees a mar in it and he takes it down. But guess what it says? It says, as the potter saw fit to do with the clay. And God will do the very same thing with you. Oh, what? He sees fit, but he's making you. Because then Romans 8, 29 says what? That for whom the Lord did foreknow, he did predestinate to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Oh, you want to be bitter? You want to spend your life being bitter and unforgiving? No! It'll, it'll destroy you. And that bitterness will lead to other sin. Is there somebody in your life right now you can't forgive? Is there somebody that you're just not willing to let go of it? And that bitterness is just, you know, here. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. You got to let it go. Now he says, her children rise up and call her blessed. But why? He rise up and call her blessed. Why? Because she and herself, you've got to do some of this. Because she is a positive, optimistic, and enjoys her role in life. I used to love being around my grandmother. And the one scene that really, I always felt like, that if I looked at, if, if, if I had to go to the dictionary and I had to look up and I turned and I looked up grandmother, that my grandmother's picture would be in the dictionary. Never will forget one time I got a phone call to come go to her house and to tell her that her sister had died. And I went to her house. And I said, Granny, I, I said, I, I got to talk to you about something. She said, what is it, honey? I said, Granny, ain't Ursel, that was her name, Ursel. They had all these old names, you know. Anyway, said, I said, ain't Ursel, they've taken her to the hospital. Was she okay? I said, no, Granny, she's passed away. And I never will forget, she put her little face down in her hands, and she cried for a little bit. And she, all of a sudden, she looks up at me and she says this. Have you had anything to eat? See, that's it. Mothers are always sacrificing. Grandmothers are always sacrificing. You know, because she's got a positive and optimistic and she enjoys her role in life. Oh, don't be a sourpuss. Your kids don't want to be around you. But if they see you as a prayerful person, if they see you as a loving person, and, and a person that even though you got problems, that you fight through those problems, and they see you turning them over to the Lord, they see you doing this stuff, I'm telling you, you're going to have such an impression upon them. 
You don't know how many times, though. That she, you know, she is, she is the mother. And therefore, as being a mother, and, and, and her children can be a child. Now, you, you don't understand. You, you don't know how many times as a principal I saw that role reversed. How many... As a, how many uh, you as a mother need to have a positive outlook on life to have a Christian worldview? You know? But how many times have I seen that role reversed? How that the child is more responsible? I've actually had first graders, first graders that were more of a mother to their sibling who was in kindergarten than the mother was. You know? Then he also says her husband, he praises her. Wife has such an influence on the husband. How many men that God has called to ministry have gotten out of ministry because their wife was not happy? You know, verse 23 says her husband is known in the gates. That's a place of influence. Why? Because he can praise his wife. He's not looking back over his shoulder. He, he looks, he knows the sacrifices. Listen, I know the sacrifices that this lady down here has made for me. For me to be able to preach. This is our life. You know? This is it. We're bound in here. I mean, but that's it. But you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer one time said, he just simply said that simply the, he is a prisoner he has to follow the path prescribed. It is the path of a man whom God will not let go, who will never be rid of God. That's what he said, and it's the truth. It's one deadline after another deadline. But that's our life. And she sacrifices more than I do, and I worry about her. I worry that I have not made her happy many times. But guys, your wife's spiritual development Listen to this. Is your responsibility. Let me say it again. Your wife's spiritual development is your responsibility. Listen to what it says in the field. Husbands, love your wives. Well, I try to do, you know. You know, one guy told me one time, so, well, I told her I told her I loved her once at the wedding. I thought that was enough. No, the Bible says you love your wife. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. But listen to this. That, that, that he might what? This is what you're to do. Sanctify, set apart. Be cleanse her with the washing of the water. Washing of the water by the word. What does that mean? That means you tell her by the word. That means you tell her that you love her on a daily basis. It's interesting that women have to have that. They, they just literally have to have, they have to be told that they're loved. And if you're not doing that, you're failing your wife. She wants to hear. That's how she's made. Guys are not made that way. <laughs> this is why you got, ladies, this is why you got in your husband, you got to make him feel like he's the man. Even though you, you know. <laughs> you know, my, wife, my wife's uh, pet name for me is Idiot. 
sort of says it under breath. I guess that's better. So husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. And then in 27 it says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, a glorious wife, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, that he should be holy and without blemish. And I hate to tell you this, but I'm telling you right now, God will call you in on the carpet one of these days. One of the greatest things that you can do for her is being sitting beside her in church, not sending your wife and your kids to church. All we hear is how young people are dropping out of the church. Well, too many kids today who don't want anything to do with the church have, are because they were dropped off or sent to church, not brought to church, and their father with their father sitting behind them. Thus, they didn't see the, the relativeness between what their father said in their life and... The church. You know? I once heard, I once heard that uh, a, 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 I once heard that a, a family that was Jewish they moved to another place in Europe and all of a sudden the Jewish they became Lutheran. They became Lutheran. And when they became Lutheran, uh, when they became Lutheran, the son went to the father and said to him, Well, Dad, why are we becoming Lutheran? He said, Because it's good for business. It's good for business. You know who wrote the Communist Manifesto? Who? Karl Marx. Guess who that was? That was Karl Marx. So let me, let me finish up here real quick. And let me give you four characteristics of a godly mother. Number one, godly mothers have an undying love. There's a beautiful picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus. The Bible says that when Jesus was being taken out of Calvary, taken to Calvary and was being crucified, even in the midst of taunting Jews and tough Roman soldiers, Mary stood by him, still stood at his, stood there at the crucifixion. The love of the true mother never fails. In 2 Samuel 21, it's, it, it, is, it, it is a time of was blotted with cruelty and revenge. But in the middle of this record, there's a beautiful moving story of a mother's love. Saul had seven sons, and Saul had taken a group of people by the name of Gideon, the Gibeonites, and he had treated them terribly. But when Saul was gone, he, was, he died, and, and David became king, he tried to force some kind of peace treaty with, uh, uh, with the Gibeonites, and they told him the only way that we'll ever have any peace or anything will do that is you got to turn Saul's seven sons over to me, over to us, so that we can, we can torture them and kill them. And they did. They turned all seven of those sons over. He turned all seven of those sons over to the Gibeonites. And they took them and they tortured them. And then they hung them. They hung them. And when they did... Their mother, Rizpah, 
journeyed to that hillside. And she spread a blanket out over the ground. And she stayed there night and day for several months and kept the birds and the wild animals to stay by her, stay away from her sons. What a scene. May I ask you where your child is or what your child's going through? Maybe you got a child that's going through drugs and alcohol or whatever it is. I'm just going to simply say to you, don't give up on them. You got to pray for them. And I tell people sometimes, you got to come to me with this kind of child that's going on. And I tell them all the time, I say, well, here's what you got to do. You got to love them and you got to forgive them, but you can't trust them. That's the difference. Because I've seen too many, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've actually seen kids move out of the house because they won't do what their mother and dad tell them to do. And they go live with grandparents. And I saw one situation, I got a call one night because they were, the parents finally realized what was going on. This kid had taken 30-something thousand dollars from his grandparents' retirement funds. I knew another girl that had gotten her hold of her mother and dad's credit cards and things, and she, she had filed for Social Security and all this other kind of stuff, and, and she'd spent 20-something thousand dollars on running up bills and things for them. Don't give up on them, but you got to use a lot of wisdom. You got to love them, got to forgive them, but you can't trust them. Here's the second thing godly mothers make untiring sacrifices. How many of us can say that we've seen our mothers when the table, there are six, sixes of us sitting there, and there's only five pieces of chicken? And all of a sudden, your mother loses her appetite. Hannah is an example of an untiring sacrifice. After dedicating the child Samuel to the Lord, the temple, Hannah left him to Eli the priest. But her care and concern did not end there. In 1 Samuel 2.19 it says, Moreover, her, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer yearly sacrifice. She never quit. A devoted mother makes many, many sacrifices. Giving birth is a sacrifice. The pain she endures is unbelievable. And I tell you, I never will forget when my kids were born and the screaming and the hollowing that went on in that room. Finally, the doctor looked at me and told me if I didn't shut up, he's going to make me go outside. <laughs> the world will say, we're just a housewife. Or do you have a job? Someone has said, nobody knows the work it takes to keep the home together. Nobody knows the steps it takes. Nobody knows but mothers. The poem that says, you ran to help me when I fell. And would some pretty story tell? Or kiss the place to make it well. My mother, how we need to honor our mothers for untiring sacrifice. Third thing is godly mothers have untold influence. But realize that a mother who lives contrary to the way of the Lord wants us to walk also has an influence. If you don't walk in the Lord, you know, if, if your kids see you not living in, in, it's going to have an influence. But thank God there's still mothers. And I think about 
But I think about 2 Chronicles 22, 3, 4. Ahazah, the king of Judah. And listen what it says. He says, also he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. For his mother advised him to do wickedly. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like the house of Ahab. For they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. But thank God there are still mothers who have a positive influence on their children. We all know the story of Moses when he was a baby. His mother Jochebed, after that, when Pharaoh had decided he was going to kill all the babies two years and younger, as a result of that, Jochebed made a little raft basket and, and floated it down the Nile. I've always been intrigued with that because, and I've always been intrigued with Jochebed's fingertips. And what I mean by her fingertip, fingertips is the fact that when she made that little basket that would float and she had, can you imagine taking your baby and putting him in this little float basket? And she put him in there and then she had to take him to the Nile that was full of crocodiles and everything else and she had to let him go. And you think about it. I mean, her fingertips touching that little basket and watching as it floated down the Nile not knowing but she she had prayed before she trusted God before and asking God to do to, to take care of him or whatever and of course her daughter ran along the side and watched it as it did and of course we know the story of how that Pharaoh's daughter had come out and saw the basket brought it and she opened it up and the baby baby Moses looked at him and smiled and she said she said simply, and, and so the daughter went and said, you know, would you like for somebody to come and take care of the baby? And she said, yes. She went and got Jochebed to be paid to take care of her. I'd like to get a deal like that. She got paid for taking care of her. own. That's how God does things when you trust him. He does a whole lot bigger thing than you ever thought about thinking about. She got paid for taking care of her own kids. Unbelievable. But I've thought about that as she lets that basket go. How many times have you let your kids go? Every time you put them in a car to go somewhere. Every time you leave them somewhere or, what, or whatever, you know, if you do that, you know, let them, let them go. You're releasing them. Oh, how your kids need to be prayed over in this way. If you'll trust the Lord in raising your children, good things will follow. Good things will follow. But even though Moses was the king's palace, his true mother, Jochebed, had an influence over Moses' life. And as a result, the Bible says this because the influence of Jochebed, even though he's raised up in the king's palace. But listen to what it says in Hebrews 11. Verse starting with verse 24 and 27. It says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Rather than suffering the affliction of his people. Why? Because his mother had that influence. There are many factors that influence our lives. Heredity, 
associations, environment, and all these contribute to the sum total of our personalities. But of all the factors that influence our growth and development, the influence of a mother is the most unique and outstanding. In fact, it's really true. The hand who rocks the cradle rules the world. Grover Cleveland was elected governor of the state of New York, and he wrote to his brother, he said, If mother was still alive, I'd feel much safer. Abraham Lincoln once declared, All that I am and all that I will ever be, I owe to my mother. Every mother has a tremendous opportunity to influence her children for God or against him. Why do you think it was that Israel exists even today? God, obviously God. But the United States, when the United, United Nations was getting ready to vote whether or not Israel to become a nation. Who was the president at that time? Harry S. Gimhill Harry Truman. He was raised, he was raised in such a way, religiously raised in such a way that he was a by his mother in the church. And he saw it. And one of his buddies, he was, he was a soldier in World War I, and one of his buddies was a Jew. And when he, came, he got out of the army, they came back and they went into business with one another. And when they were getting ready for this vote, this man came to the White House, and he came and said, Harry, for such a time as this, God has placed you here. And Harry Truman, uh, against all the wishes of everybody else, voted for the United Nations to accept Israel. And God was in that. But his mother had that tremendous effect upon him. Fourth and final thing, a godly mother has unfailing faith. When the apostle Paul preached at Lystra, he met a wonderful family, a young man by the name of Timothy, his mother Eunice, and his grandmother Lois. And a number of years later, Paul reminded Timothy that his faith dwelled first his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And it does not mean a child inherits faith or he gets it by osmosis. Every, every individual must decide for themselves to serve Jesus for him or himself. There's, there's a very definite advantage of having a Christian heritage. God doesn't have a group plan going to heaven. Oh, but for a son or a daughter to look back and remember a mother who was so dedicated to the Lord, don't tell me that doesn't have an influence upon them. It does. It does. You know that verse of Scripture says that, that train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he won't depart. It doesn't say he won't, it doesn't say he won't wander around, or it doesn't say he won't backslide away, but it says when he's old he won't depart. He'll remember. What a shame it is a tragic that many mothers give their children to a warm bed, nourishing meals, adequate clothing, but little spiritual nurturing. Get beside them every night and get on your knees and say, let's say our prayers together. And let them pray and then let you pray. What an impression it makes on a child to catch their mother. To catch their mother on their knees. To hear their mother say, let's pray about this. To see their mother sitting in a pew tirelessly Sunday after Sunday. A Christian mother is the fairest flower and grows in the garden of happiness. It is my prayer today that you will honor your mother if she's still living today. Go to her and tell her how much you love her and you appreciate her. Even if you're at odds, go away. I'm going to close with this. This is one of my favorite stories. In the Korean War... There was a group of soldiers that were pinned down. 
and they're about to be overrun. And they could not get messages or communication back to their, the, the main group of people, the great soldiers. And finally, the captain told them, said, I got to find somebody that's be willing to go into no man's land, go across the field and to get word to them to, to come and to save us. So that's the only thing we can do. He asked for volunteers, and this one young soldier raised his hand and says, I'll go. And so he said, okay, then if you're going to go. And so he's sitting there, he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he would look down at his watch. He would look at his watch. And he'd look up, and he'd look around, and he'd look at his watch. Look at his watch, and finally the captain went over to him and said, son, says, now if you don't want to go, don't, I'll get somebody else. He said, no. I'm going to go. He so went back. He'd go back and he'd look at his watch again. He'd looking at his watch. And finally, he went. Crawled, you know, fought against unbelievable odds to get there. But he got there. They got other men in. And when they did, and when they did as a result of that, they were saved. When they were back, in the, back at the back, this captain came up to this young man and said, I want you to know how much I really appreciate you doing what you did. You risked your life, and we're going to accommodate you for that. He said, but i got to ask you something. He said, what's that? He said, every time that I would try to get you to go, you, you kept looking down at your watch. You kept looking at your watch. What did that have to do with that? He said, well, sir, he says, when I came over here, my mother told me that she would be praying for me every day at 11 o'clock. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. That's what kind of impact you can have upon your child. I know this world's gone crazy, guys. Let's face it. Jesus is getting ready to come. And it's going to get a whole lot worse. What we got to do is we're like an island in the middle of all this. We've got to look to the Lord more than anything else. We've got to, we, we've got to literally do, you know, even though the news, we can't depend on the news anymore, you know, every, everything, it's just, gone, it's just gone crazy. But what we got to do, as I really believe, is, is what Colossians tells us to do in 3. It says then, if you were raised with Christ... Then here's what, if you've been saved, then here's what he tells you to do. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, because he can do something about it. And then he says this, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Set your mind on those things. It's what we've got to do. This morning we have a verse of invitation. Now let me say this to you. Where are you today?